This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy John of the Macri with you for the second part of our very special um, fundraiser call-in episode benefiting Higher Heights for America. Um, I will not talk as long as I did on uh, part one of the pod. Just want to say one more time, thank you to everybody who contributed and um, I, uh, you know, was just blown away by the generosity of people going over and above um, what I asked, not to mention the people that just, you know, paid $30 to talk to me for a few minutes. Uh, I had some friends send me some text messages that were, um, well, let's just say um, poking fun at the notion that anybody would ever pay to talk to me. Um, so for those of you who did that, I, I very much appreciate it. It was for a great cause. Um, check the Knicks Film School newsletter because I am going to have um, the names and the um, Twitter handles for those who, who provided them of all the people who called in and generously gave. A few people even gave and donated uh, without wanting to be on the show, which thank you to them as well. All of those folks are going to be mentioned in the Knicks Film School newsletter um, this week. And uh, I, if uh, if not uh, already in the newsletter on Monday, as you could probably tell, I'm recording this over the weekend. Um, but in any case, um, check that and also check there for the uh, final tally of what we're able to raise because um, that's really exciting. OK, uh, without further ado, here is part two of uh, the fundraiser call in episode. All right, so joining me now on the program, uh, latest guest on the Knicks Film School podcast, Bill Gold. Bill, uh, first and foremost, how are you this morning? It's Sunday, a beautiful day outside, so are you doing well, I, I hope? I'm great. I'm great, Jonathan. Super excited to be here. Big fan. I'm uh, thinking you're the future of sports media. <laughs> That's, oh, man. And I, what, what a universe that would be. Um, but I appreciate I appreciate the kind words. Um, so before we get to the couple of topics I know we have on the plate for today, um, give me your quick initial impressions of the Thibodeau hire. I'm excited. I'm excited. I think uh, he's done a ton to, to develop talent. I, I think we've got some... Some solid core building blocks with with Mitch and RJ. Lots of um, draft capital, and I'm optimistic he can help us develop. I'm optimistic too, and um, which is a good good segue into um, the question that you posed to me when we were going back and forth on on uh, Twitter, which is you know 
what would my development plan be for the Nick Young players, Mitch, RJ, Frank, you know, Kevin Knox and, and Dennis Smith Jr. I think are the five you named, but like, <laughs> if I'm being honest, I would go hire someone from the Toronto Raptors and, uh, you know, the highest, high, uh, the highest person I could uh, pillage from that organization, because I look at what they've been able to do the last several years. And I guess, I don't know if there's one overriding philosophy that they have, because, you know, on one hand, you look at a guy like their rookie this year, um, uh, Terrence Davis, who that, you know, undrafted has been playing a huge role for them almost from, from jump. And then you look at guys like Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam, who, you know, they shuttled up and up and down from the G league uh, during both of their rookie seasons. And like, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but you ask about Kevin Knox like and Dennis Smith Jr., to be honest with you, like both of those guys, I would have given significant time to them in the G League. And I think that's the biggest change that I would make from how they, or at least the old regime, we'll see what this regime does, how the old regime treated, like to them, I think time on the court was the thing that mattered the most. And I think other organizations, smart organizations tend to value what happens off the not off like a court like off of the the professional court like when the game is being played um as like just as important if not more important but of course that doesn't even apply to everybody like Mitchell Robinson there's a guy who if I was developing him he would have averaged 30 minutes a game for me last year so I think you just have to know your players and also it helps to like draft players and acquire players that fit into your system so um I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on on what's what's the best way to go about development? I'm with you. I'm with you, Jonathan. What's that book? The the rule of ten thousand hours. There to you be go. Yep. So I don't. I guess the vibe I get is that maybe there's a stigma about um, players that are on the professional roster playing in the G League. I wish I could. If that's true, I wish I could shatter it. It, it is with this organization. It certainly seems to be. Look at Trey Burke. He 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 stepped. He willingly stepped into the J to the G League and and reinvented himself. So um, it's funny that you mentioned Kevin and DSJ because I've been thinking a lot about amongst all of the rookies, what are their ceilings, and and DSJ fascinates me because he's got so much freaking physical talent. Um, but but how do you get his head right? And and I think time in the G League could be an important part of that strategy. You know, if he's willing, though, and that's the one thing I'll say. And I, you know, look, I'm not going to pretend like I know Dennis Smith Jr. personally, but you are talking about someone who once upon a time was the number one recruit in the entire nation. Um, and I I think that. That This is why I don't think you could separate out the conversation of player development versus player acquisition, because you have to acquire players who are going to be willing to be developed in the way that you want to develop them. And that's why, to me, you mentioned Knox. To me, Knox is the bigger shame, because I think that kid, if as a rookie, you told him, like, look, man. You're going to sit down. You're going to watch. We're going to give you five, ten minutes a game. You're going to spend some time in Westchester. I like I've spoken to his dad a few times. He would have been fine with that. And they that that ship is sailed now. 
and it's you know we'll, we'll see what they could salvage i you mentioned ceilings um of the players that they have who are you highest on in terms of their ceiling um well the the two the two obvious ones mitch um and rj who do you have higher i'm curious that's that's the real question who do you have higher of the two of them oh, god i go back and forth on this and and i'm a I'm a data geek, so um, I know. <laughs> that's why I ask. <laughs> so I've I've trained a model that will um, predict at draft time uh, who might be an all star, and um, the the features that of the model that pop the most are um, obviously position in the draft, um, but swing players, okay, guard forwards, forward centers popped out huge. Um, and both of them have the the I think the ability to play that swing player role. Um, but I, I created this indicator of players in college where multiple players from that year were selected in the draft. So my interpretation of that is that um, players who know how to play well with other talent. Okay, that's interesting. That's uh, and it makes sense. Yeah, so that that would um, speak to RJ, right? He he's been there and he knows that. I I think he. <laughs> I, I was I was going to make a joke at the expense of the Knicks. Um, I think he knows how to play with talent just fine. I don't think he was given that chance last year, um, or or at least or at least not talent that's that's conducive to. You know, I I really do believe with all of my heart, and it's such a crime. I think they put him in about the worst situation that you possibly could have put him and you know maybe that's maybe that'll work out for the best because he'll look back and be like man that first year it really got me prepared for anything in the league it has been you know all sunshine and rainbows since then i don't know we'll see um i it's interesting i'm gonna cheat um and i'm gonna say i think mitch has the slightly higher ceiling in terms of being a guy who could yeah, I guess like I'll say it. I, I think his ceiling is a guy who could anchor the best defense in the league. And I think if you have that guy, um, it's not guaranteed that you're going to win anything. But I, I think it's an incredibly valuable archetype, slightly higher than the kind of, you know, utility man, almost like Golden State version of Andre Iguodala, which I still kind of see as RJ's ceiling. You know, a guy who, if he's on a good team, he's, he's probably not an all-star level player. If he's on a bad team, maybe he makes one or two. Um, but at the same time, the league is going away from the from valuing the center position. So it's even that is is a, is an answer. I'm not that that that's what I meant by cheating. Like it's like if I had to pick only one, like I don't know, I might even I might even pick RJ for that reason. Mitch Mitch is kind of fascinating because he's he's so freaking athletic for someone of that oh. size. My God. Yeah. So would you would you develop him as a center? Would you develop oh, yes. him as a swing center forward? I, I would because I think the league is going in the direction where whether you want to play five wings or a point guard and four wings or, you know, four somewhat like size players and a center. I just don't think you I, I think it's too much of an advantage to quite frankly, both the offense and the defense. Um, if you're playing against a team that is playing two, and I, I hesitate to use the term traditional bigs because obviously traditional bigs, you can't stick out on an island against a James Harden and, the, you know, hope to 
that they'll survive, which is, you know, something Mitchell Robinson has shown the ability to do. But I do still think there, there, there's a, there's a, you can push that concept a little bit too far. And there, there's such a thing as wanting to get, you know, at a certain point, wanting to get water from a rock. It's like, Mitch is a big, he's a seven foot guy that like, yeah, I know we see the highlight videos, but he's, I think he has a clearly defined role in the NBA today. And I think venturing too far from what that role is, you might start to get diminishing returns. But I mean, who knows? Listen, I, I this season is one for experimentation. So let's see what they do. I think with Mitch, the I, I don't think we know what his offensive um, breadth of skills are. Like he, he's a beast at the rim and, and all of that. Can Can he develop a shot? That's well, but again, even so, if he does develop that shot, I want him, I want that as a weapon from my center. Because if you have a pick and pop center, like, well, like we had for a few years, um, that's the type of thing that could bend an offense a lot more than just, you know, a, a pick, a pick and pop four. Because if you have a pick and pop five, well, then you could go, you know, five out or something along those lines. And that's when you could really do, you know, do some fun stuff. Um, I, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Um, I, and that's why as much as I love the Tibbs hire, I do want to, and I've kind of echoed this on my pod. I do wish they were getting someone a little bit more creative on the coaching staff and maybe they will. We'll see. There's still time, but like, I like the job Mike Miller done. I respect uh, Mike Woodson as a basketball mind. The two guys who, you know, it seems like it's going to be them, but they're not, I think what anybody would consider like a, you know, a visionary basketball mind willing to like try to break the mold. Um, on that note, I'm going to ask you the question that I have asked everybody so far who's come on here. I want you to give me a win total prediction without any caveats, without any like, yeah, oh, if this or that, just like give me a straight number of what you think the team is going to win next year. Great question. Um, I guess it depends on their strategy of development or wins, but I'd love to see them uh, get to 35. 30, okay. So this this continues to fascinate me. I have I have asked this question of um, you are the eighth person, and this is the seventh different answer I got, and yet all of them are between thirty and forty. So I I, I believe you have the um, the the mean uh, at this point. Um, this was a lot of fun, Bill. Any before I let you go, anything you want to say, plug, promote before I, I get you out here. I'm good. Other than Jonathan, I think uh, I'm a huge fan. I think uh, you're on to something big and uh, uh, keep doing it. You're, you're doing some great stuff. Um, I, 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 I don't take compliments. Well, I'll say, I'll say thank you. And um, I couldn't stop if I tried. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, thank you so much for, for contributing to this cause. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me for a few minutes. And, and it really was a pleasure to chat, Bill. Thank you. Uh, pleasure's mine. Thanks, Jonathan. Latest guests. And yes, plural, because we have, uh, him with us once again, the man, the myth, the legend, Spencer Perlman. Spencer, um, other than your your body heat index, how are you doing? I'm good. That's, <laughs> how are you guys? That's fantastic. Uh, you're gonna run an NBA team someday, and I'm gonna have all these audio clips, and it's just I'm gonna <laughs> I'll figure out a way to blackmail you. I, I don't know how though. Um, and then on the line, also with me is a colleague of mine from the Step Back, uh, Paul Santapani. 
Paul, can you remind the listeners when's the last time we saw each other? Because I think people will get a kick out of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, first time, long time. Glad to be here. Uh, <laughs> the, the the last time we saw each other was at a promotional uh, event for Lance Thomas's apparel company called Slang Magic. Um, so, you know, obviously we're, we're both huge Lance heads and, uh, massive. We, yeah, it was, it was great. It was special. Can I tell you, I, that shirt that we got for free in the little gift bag that day, that Mm -hmm. is probably the most fashionable item of clothing that I own because I think it's the only thing in my closet that has been, I was going to say purchased, but I can't say that because it was free, but has been obtained within the last three years. Yeah, I I love it. It's like a glove. It's a a a fantastic shirt. It really is. Spencer, you'd appreciate it. Um, (laughs) I know you appreciate Lance Thomas's game, clearly. No, I actually, I like Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas and Jared Jeffries were always guys who I thought were underappreciated because they were overplayed for their, like, for what they should have been. Like, they were given more minutes than what they should have been. If they were given, like, a 15-minute-a-game thing as, like, a fourth option or a fifth option, they would have been fine. But because Lance was, you know, trying to dribble and Jared Jeffries, you know, I'm not even sure. He was just playing too much. Like, it kind of looks bad. We're going to do a Lance tribute pod at some point. Um, Maybe maybe when he retires. Um, Paul, you... uh, you're great at what you do, writing about the league, um, writing about the Knicks occasionally. Uh, what's on your mind, man? Talk to me. So, as a troubled Knicks fan, um, are we you know, all? <laughs> I have I have no reason to be optimistic about this team, just given everything that I've experienced. But for whatever reason, hope always springs eternal with me. Um, I, I like that they're assembling a brain trust and putting all these smart people and league power brokers together. Um, I just hope that they're building a base of consistency because they have all these young pieces in need of development, but the past seasons, they just keep jerking around playing time. They keep changing coaches and the schemes and the last Knicks draft pick that signed an extension with the team was Charlie Ward in 99. It was, was it 99 or 98? Cause I guess back then rookie contracts were, maybe they were longer. Um, cause I know he was a 94. What was he a '94 draft pick? I'm I'm dating myself. I mean, you know, it doesn't even matter. It, it's, it's been a it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. You just it's funny. You talked about power brokers, and I instantly got um, the Robert Moses uh, biography in my head. Oh yeah. Um, which maybe I don't know. Maybe Leon Rose will have an effect on the New York Knicks that Robert Moses had on New York City, and like revolutionize it as a, as a transportation hub and then um, lead to its downfall. Um, once people realize that there shouldn't be a million and a half people living on Long Island. Um, but I digress. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned the draft. Do you have any, um, what are your thoughts on the draft coming up? So that's kind of what I want to talk about too. You know, I, I don't really, I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a huge uh, scout or anything like that. So I don't know how to rank any of these point guards. And who you guys would think that would be the best guy to take. And, I mean, obviously we have that need. But do any of the other players coming out, do they transcend our need for point guard? Like that we should we should just take them regardless of, of position. Um, I think what Spencer tells me to think about the draft. So I'll just lob it to him. Although I do want to offer something 
that I had been thinking about the last few days. And I think I said it on the pod. I don't think I've texted you about this, Spencer, but the notion of um, taking either an Okoro, well, probably an Okoro now that it's Tibbs, but like, or a Denny, but like some, some a non-point guard at the first pick and then taking Trey Jones um, would probably have to be a 27, I guess, because I like what Tibbs did with his brother and they're like similar player types, except Trey is better at, on defense, I feel like. Um, so yeah, Spencer, what are your, what are your thoughts? Who, who should the, the Knicks give Tibbs as his first draft pick? And then like, what do you think of my crazy idea? Um, let's see. So I think, I mean, it kind of depends where they land. If, if they have the first overall pick, I think you just have to pick the best player available because I mean, you know, as, as Paul just said, the Knicks future isn't really that bright. And one way to brighten it is to get the player with the supposed highest ceiling and, um, you know, who actually makes players around them better. And I've been pretty vocal about this. I, I'm pretty certain it's LaMelo. Um, like, you know, there are concerns to his game, but at the same time, he makes guys around him better. And there are more than enough flashes on defense to think that the defense will get better, um, period, because like, he makes good rotations. It's just cleaning up the footwork and actually finishing out plays and not swiping when he should be contesting and stuff like that. Um, but like, it really depends, you know, if you're, if you have the first pick, if you have the second pick or third pick and, you know, uh, LaMelo or Killian, um, you know, something like that is available. I think, I think you pretty much have to take those, one of those guys, because I mean, a, it's a position of need, but more than that, it's a position that need at a, in, in like the same tier, um, you know, like. People have those two guys, or maybe not Killian, but they'll have Lamelo and Ant in the same tier. Um, so yeah, um, but you know, if you're picking somewhere towards seven and eight, uh, I can make an argument for Kyra. I can make an argument for Vassell. I can make an argument for you know Okoro, obviously, or Denny if Denny falls. But the way he's been shooting, I I don't think he uh, I don't think he's gonna fall. Um, so yeah, I think that's. That's the first question. Um, no, no, like, no, Trey Jones love. You can't give me a little, you can't well, get, throw me a bone so here. I'm getting to that. Um, so I think Tyus was actually the better player on both ends of the court. Okay. So mm-hmm. I can't throw you the bone there, but I do like Trey. Um, and like, I, I've seen people have, you know, someone like, uh, what's his name? Tyrell Terry ahead of Trey and Cassius. And I don't agree with that whatsoever. I, I would have, uh, Terry below uh, Trey Cassius and then also Malachi Flynn um, and Grant Riller also um, I actually think you'd like uh, Flynn a lot um, he's a scrappy point guard he's super smart on both sides he's got deep range um, he's physical like I think you'd like him but yeah I mean someone like Tibbs if Tibbs wants a Coro I trust him and his development I, I guess I would kind of question how he'd use him on offense um, but seeing how he brought along Jimmy Butler slowly, and I think that worked out pretty well, considering where Butler is, you know, right now, um, and just how he's developed, I'm cool with that. And then taking a, you know, someone with a late first round pick, or maybe trading up a little bit, um, I think that would be, you know, fantastic also, because you, know, you could definitely get a backup point guard spot starter, um, you know, late in the first round. Although I also think Frank is going to have 
like a good chance of winning the starting spot this year. But that's uh, your your lips to God's ears, Paul. I I don't think I actually know. Are you a Francophile? Oh, I love Frank, man. So this brings me to my next thing. Like I want to talk about Tibbs with you guys. I think in for just looking at it through a Frank lens and a Mitch lens, I feel like this is a great hire. Um, you know, he's going to make those guys monsters on D because, I mean, they already are, but they're not, you know, completely utilized to their potential, I don't think. Um, but, Macri, you talked about the difference between transactional and transformational coaches in one of your recent newsletters. And I was hoping the Knicks would get Atkinson because I think he has a better shot at being transformational. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Tibbs will establish hard work and a defensive base. But, you know, I worry about him running the team into the ground. You know, I'm pretty sure Luol Dang had to replace both his legs. Uh, <laughs> and the last time Tibbs had success was 2014-15. You know, that wasn't that long ago. But the league's vastly different now. You know, players are more empowered than ever. And that's great. Um, but he wore out his welcome with a young and talented Minnesota squad. Um, and I think most players now want coaches that talk with you and not at you. And I'm... I'm not sure Tibbs tech work in 2020. I I mean listen, my my two cents on on this is that I feel like we've watched enough years worth of Nick games to see like year after year the locker rooms not tune out the coach because even like last year with Miller like they were listening to Miller. But like you know when a team, when you're watching a team who comes out onto the floor and they're ready, like they're ready to play. Like we've we've seen other teams do it for decades and we haven't seen this team do it in over 20 years. And I feel like I agree with you that Kenny is the guy who's more likely to be the transformational approach in, in terms of, uh, of coaching. But I thought it was interesting because I, you know me, anything Clarence Gaines says, I, I listen to. I he, he one of his tweets, he basically ended it with like, maybe they need um, a more transactional coach right now. Um, and I think if there was ever a presence that was going to get this team to just like listen and get like get this i don't even mean team get this franchise get what doesn't even matter the players it's like they come in here and something happens to them yeah like i think about this shit way too much and this is this is what i've arrived at which is that they need his larger than life presence is the reason you get him in here but at the same time to your point i don't think they could just give him any players i think you have to find players Mm -hmm. who are willing to be coached in a way that a lot of players you're right are not willing to be coached these days um, I don't know, Spencer. What do you What do you think? I think Atkinson would have done more in terms of like developing guys. Uh, like I think he definitely did that with Brooklyn. Um, I think Paul's definitely right there. But like the way I kind of viewed it, I had them both in the same, you know, the same way I rank tiers or do tiers that drafted the same stuff with coaches. Um, I was fine with either of them because I think. Like, I think they're definitely both good coaches. They definitely offer very different things, and they need to have different personalities um, to connect with Tibbs. But I think the Knicks have at least a few of those guys. Like, I think I think Frank actually has that attitude, seeing as he's been kind of jerked around over the last couple of years, and he still stayed mentally strong, I think. Um, and then I think RJ definitely has it. 
Um, you know, I think he has other shortcomings, but in terms of wanting to be coached and willing to be pushed, I think he's, you know, he's got that in spades. Um, I was actually pretty curious about like Stackhouse uh, and I still wanted them to at least interview Becky Hammond because I, I mean, just I saw no downside in that whatsoever. And like, you know, Popovich and that connection and um, yeah, but I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm cool with Tibbs. I understand why they did it. Um, I'm curious to see how everyone's going to react and you know, if all the players will react. Yeah, I think this kind of assures me that Taj Gibson's coming back, which I'm happy about. <laughs> Taj, <laughs> Taj is going to play for the Knicks until he's 40. Um, I I want to keep going with this conversation. Um, so what I'm going to do is, if it's all right with you, Paul, um, you want to come back on the pod maybe a little bit later this summer and we could chat a little bit longer? Absolutely, man. I, I would love to get back on this and just yell ice ice <laughs> no let's 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 plan on it because you um your writing is superb your your work um on the nba is superb if you're not uh, i i usually ask my guests for a plug but i'm just gonna plug you um if you're not following paul on twitter um you should do so because he's a really good follow and he writes really good stuff um so you're at p i'm gonna spell it out for the non-Italians listening, C E N P C E N T O P A N I. I got that right, right? That's right. With okay. my first initial last name at uh, at Twitter. Um, well, Jonathan and Spencer, thank you so much. Um, uh, since you plugged me, I'm just going to say I'll go off with uh, Black Lives Matter and arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm here for that all day long. Um, Spencer, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, this was awesome. Paul, thank you. I got to get to another call, so I'm going to peace out. Oh, wait. Hold on. Last thing. Paul, give me a prediction, yeah. a predicted win total for next year. Just a number. Uh, 38. Love it. Okay. I'll see you guys later. Talk to you soon. Later. Take care, guys. Okay, joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, someone who uh, I feel like I know very well, even though this is the first time we've spoke because we talk um, offline a lot. And um, he's been uh, very important uh, to me, shedding some light on some things, which uh, I, you know, I just really appreciate. And uh, he's a great guy, uh, Ray Marcano. Ray, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Jonathan. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the podcast. No, thank thank you for, you know, always taking the time to um, just converse about stuff. Uh, a lot of a lot of things that don't have anything to do with basketball. Um, I think, you know, I've been I haven't been bashful about saying I think conversations are the most important thing that we could do. Um, in a healthy society. And, um, I, I always enjoy our conversation. So, um, I appreciate that. Um, you are a Knicks fan. Um, you are a, a very smart Knicks fan. So just at the outset, I'm, I'm asking you the same question I've been asking everybody. Are you happy with the Thibodeau hire? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you skeptical? Where, where are you falling on the, on the scale here? You know, just about with any coach in any sport, I am cautiously optimistic. I think the only coach that at least we've heard rumors of that I would have preferred is Atkinson. Uh, I am I'm sitting down. I got up this morning and got on my knees and prayed to the basketball gods and thanked them that it wasn't Jason <laughs> Kidd. Uh, I, I, I think, I, I, think I, I much would have rather uh, slammed my toes with a hammer than had that guy on the sidelines. 
so um, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, the, the only thing I wonder is whether or not uh, the new game has passed them by a little bit, but we're going to see that soon. Yeah, I, I am in the process of writing my newsletter for Monday. And, um, you know, it's 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 tough to not have that concern when you look at where and, and I don't even talk. I don't even mean the defensive schemes. That's actually, oddly enough, not something I'm concerned about. I'm just talking about. You know, the types of lineups he likes to put out. He was always he stuck with the two big men at the same time, whether it was Noah and Gasol towards the end in Chicago or, um, you know, obviously Carl Anthony Towns and Taj Gibson. This is a roster that's already predisposed to have two bigs on the court at the same time. Uh, it did not work out well last year, although, you know, some of the numbers with Mitch and Randall got, got better. Um so that's like how much is he going to be willing to go outside his comfort zone? Because like that's the other thing that I wonder. He's sixty two years old. You know, he has a he clearly has a comfort zone. I do you think it'll it, from that perspective it'll be tough for him to maybe try out some things that he maybe has never tried before? So I don't think so. I think the best coaches adapt. Let's look at Pop. Pop is what seventy one. Yeah, that's true. Always adapting to what's going on. Uh, I think with uh, Tibbs, um, when he's had a penchant to play two bigs on the floor together, they've actually been two quality bigs. This and is you true. Can make the argument the Knicks don't have any quality bigs. I mean, I know everybody loves Mitch. I love Mitch too, but he's a kid who is just continuing to learn. Um, and you know, Randall's not a quality big. Taj is not a quality big. So he just doesn't have that. So he may not have any choice but to adapt unless the Knicks surprise us and go out and get like a Bertrand who's a big guy who can stretch the floor and will overpay for him. I wish. Um, yeah, I wish too, but I don't see that happening. Um, so I don't think he's going to have any, I think he has to adapt. I don't think he has any choice but to adapt. Well, you know, one of the, th- you, you know, you emailed me some, some topics to touch on. And one of them was whether the Knicks really have a young core. And I feel like this is something that, really gets overshadowed in a lot of, you know, casual conversations about the team because that term connotates that you have to me, at least it's, it it connotates that you have at least one building block that is a foundational piece that, you know, come hell or high water. Like this is a guy that you were going to build around for the next, you know, 10 years. And there are other young pieces around that. And I, you know, that's why I think the thing that I've gotten into the most hot water with a lot of fans with is like, I don't consider RJ Barrett to be on that level. And like Mitchell Robinson, like you said, he's young, he's talented. He also plays a position that is being devalued by the day. So I, I you know, I, I don't know about that. If I would define, you know, that they have a young core, which is to get to another question of yours, what should their draft strategy be? trade up or down and go point guard or best available. If the price is right and it seems like teams that, that that might get a top pick may be willing to trade down, man, if they could get at the top of the draft and swing for the fences, whether it's ball or like, I don't like the idea of Anthony Edwards on this team one bit, but maybe if they signed a point guard to really run the show or trade, God forbid trade it for Chris ball. Like I think they, they just have to get the best talent available in this draft. And I, I would actually be in favor of 
trading up, even knowing that it's a weak draft. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on any of that? Well, on the core issue, when I think of core, I think of the Yankees of the mid-90s through the early 2000s, when they really had five players who were core players that yeah. they brought up through their system. The Knicks have nobody like that. Um, R.J. Barrett, I think, as most scouts think, is going to have a really nice and strong NBA career. Is he going to be an all-star? Well, maybe a few times. Is he going to be an all-pro? Probably not. Uh, He needs other players around him with complementary skills in order to thrive. Uh, Same for Robinson. Uh, you know, as, as you know, the game is uh, is quickly moving away from guys with his skill set. Uh, as far as trading up, we'll of course know what's going to happen there when the when we find out what the next draft position is. If they get lucky and get a top four, uh, then I could see them keeping that. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If they go below that then I could see them taking all their assets in the draft and uh, trying uh, to trade for an established player. An established player, not as so not trading up in the draft. You're just talking about essentially trading out of the draft and giving up all their assets for a, a draft assets for a current NBA player. Correct. That's, uh, that's interesting. That there's anything. Yeah, I don't think there's anything below five, maybe six in that draft that is nothing but a crapshoot. In terms of getting a strong frontline NBA starter, you can get a whole lot of uh, guys that have the potential to come, <clears throat> excuse me, to come off the bench and provide some great bench strength. But beyond five, where are the potential NBA starters? I mean, I'm sure there'll be somebody that surprises us, but I, I don't see them. Um, I don't think that that's I I don't think that's nuts at all to be honest with you and I'm not sure I, I like that idea but I don't to, to predict that that might happen I don't think that that's nuts at all um, and I think the other thing that is, is, is likely in the draft now that or is likely coming up now that we uh, know who the coach is is uh, the Knicks trying to if they hold on to their uh, pick that's their top ten pick trying to move Randall and that Clippers pick, which will fall somewhere in the 20s for, I don't know, a bag of socks or something just so they can get rid of him because he's not a tips player. You know, you're going to get, it's funny, that's the prevailing opinion of most Nick fans. And then a lot of people, I keep referencing this, have come on the pod the last couple of days and talked about how they, they, you know, they feel bad for Randall because even though he was terrible last year, there's still a good player in there. And you're expressing the other view. You just are like, listen, let's cut our losses and get rid of them, which I think that there's some merit to that thinking as well. I, I actually, I don't know that I've even strongly picked a side one way or the other, because even if he goes out and has a good year, let's say as a backup four and like, you know, part-time center or something like what, 25 minutes a game, like he doesn't become an asset at any point on that contract. He's never going to get you something good. And unless you think he's a part of your, as we say, core going forward, which I don't think either of us believe. Um, yeah, there's some merit to, to get. I don't know if I want to attach a draft pick, though, to get rid of him. That might be a little bit much, though. Well, I don't. I personally don't see a way another team might take him. Uh, I, I suppose a team that's really bereft and desperate of talent, and, you know, you got the Knicks there in that category. That's <laughs> what I was uh, to say. There's my, only one. My, there aren't that many more, right? Uh you know, you know, might be willing to take him in his contract, but I think it would take a sweetener 
uh, uh, to take him. And I'm not down on his skill set. I'm just down on his skill set under Tibbs because Tibbs is not going to stand for him uh, playing, you know, defense like a leaky water faucet. I mean, that's what he does. All the, if there's one thing that stuck out to me, like a sore thumb watching the film that I did over the last few weeks, it's that if you are not willing to play defense on your, um, on your toes, not for 10 seconds out of the possession, not for 15 seconds out of the possession, but 24 seconds out of the possession, you, you will forget about like, you'll look silly. You'll be the reason the defense does not function. At least the defenses the Tibbs have run thus far. You know, it requires everybody to be on their, you know, P's and Q's, so to speak. And if there's, if there's one image that I have of Julius Randle from last year, more than him spinning into nowhere and turning the ball over, it's of him with one foot in the lane as the ball swings over to his man out on the three point line and he makes what I can't even call a half-hearted effort because that would imply that there was some effort there to get back out to that shooter. And that's just, I mean, that's death. Um, so you, you make a great point, right? I got to give it to you. So, you know, um, as far as the rest of the team, who knows, I, I don't know uh, who they're going to get as a, as a shooting guard. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk of Drossics as a, I'm gonna, you made a point Drossics guard. As a, Point, uh, point guard, I'm sorry, point guard, a uh, guard that could, well, whether it's a point guard or, or a shooting guard, anybody that can stretch the floor, uh, I don't know who they're going to get. Uh, you know, somebody like Fournier, I guess, is uh, is going to be a, a UFA, but my guess is his price tag is going to be way too much. That would also be my guess. We The, the names that have been mentioned uh, over the last couple of days have been DJ Augustine is one, and somebody just mentioned on Twitter, Jeff Teague. These are not the... Uh, these are not the droids you're looking for. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go for that position. I can think we can count on seeing DJ. He had his best year under Tibbs. He loves Tibbs. 14, fourteen and fourteen and five. I, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that uh, we're going to see him in a Knicks uniform. And really, from a veteran bench uh, bench presence, not a bad pickup. I mean, the Knicks don't. They really are not in a position, really to be picky about who's going to come and join them, right? I mean, the, the player, the types of players that they're going to get are players that are second-tier players who are looking uh, to either make a contribution or revitalize their career or, frankly, just make some money. And DJ fits in that fits in that category. Yeah, which is why, you know, on the off chance that they – don't select a point guard uh, with their topic and they go another direction. I do think that they're, and Spencer was, uh, Spencer Perlman just joined me for the last call. He brought this up as a possibility. You know, maybe Frank Nilakina's starting point guard, you know, has, maybe that does actually have nine lives and um, it gets one more, one more run, which, you know, I'd love to see. I have a feeling you wouldn't mind seeing it either. Um, you know, if there's enough playmaking and shooting elsewhere in the starting lineup. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, yeah, that would be the key. Yeah. Um, Ray, before I let you go, uh, this has been great. It's great to finally talk to you, but I am putting you on the spot as I have been doing everybody who has come on. I think I have, let me count here real quick. I have five answers so far, so you'll be the 11th. How many uh, games are the Knicks going to win next year? Kind of full season. And let's assume a full 82-game season, yes. 
37. Okay, hold on. You know, you can't write this stuff. Um, I have now, I think, in 11 people that have answered this question, I think I've gotten every number between 30 and 40. I think maybe I'm missing... <laughs> yeah. That was that was it, and and I only got one repeat answer, and it was someone gave me uh, the number forty twice. Oh no, sorry, I haven't gotten thirty three yet. I I would bet someone's going to give me Ewing Ewing's number as their answer to this before all is oh, yeah. done. Yeah, has to. absolutely. Um, Ray, um, thank you so much for for everything. Thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, anything you want to say, plug, promote before we uh, get out of here? No, just thank you very much, Jonathan. I'm going to plug your newsletter. If you're not getting his newsletter, get it. It's the best next newsletter around. And remember, stay safe and Black Lives Matter. Thank you so much for saying that. Black Lives Matter indeed. Um, I appreciate you so much, Ray. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. Next guest on the Knicks Film School podcast. This is someone, um, as we were just talking about uh, off air, uh, it has to be one of my earliest followers. You've been, you've been, we've been interacting with each other for years now. It, it feels like um, AJ Schuler. Um, you, you, people might recognize you as the the person who has the picture of a small dog as your Twitter avatar, um, which is very yeah. cute dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 one of that's that's one of our four children. I'm doing really well. How are you? Uh, congratulations on. Uh, on, on, on being the earliest uh, voice uh, to alert the fandom to uh, not only to Leon Rose, but to uh, Coach Tibbs. Uh, I echo all the accolades coming your way and uh, congratulations. I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know how much I would echo, echo any of those, but I'll, I mean, listen, for someone start, you know, where I'm at and try to, you know, make some kind of imprint in this crazy media world, um, I guess every little bit of attention can't hurt, right? Yeah, let 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 the Babylon line represent. <laughs> um, so local train to Babylon. Ah, <laughs> uh, gosh, I I haven't heard that. Uh, I haven't heard that in. Yes, it's been well since the beginning of March. Talk about that. Talk about uh, things things that are not part of the daily routine anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So. I love interacting with you because your takes are always from the unique perspective of someone who, and I don't want to mischaracterize what you do, but I feel like you have studied or you do study organizations and like how organizations function and what makes organizations go good and go bad. Um, Did I characterize that? Okay. Or what do you want to change? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I'm a psychologist with a background in business and I've been doing organizational development and culture development and assessment and all kinds of things related to what psychologists in the productivity and business world do. And I've been doing that for 25 years. So yeah, that's always a, uh, I, I can't turn those lenses off even when I'm not working, especially when I'm uh, a, a fan of the Knicks and watching that dumpster fire unfold year after year after year. Um, for your listeners who think that a psychologist should know better than to be in a relationship with the Knicks, I hear you, um, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, so I'm, this is great. I'm really curious to get your take. I, constantly struggle with the notion of we've seen evidence in, in um, I would say maybe other sports, but I know for a fact in basketball that successful franchises and teams that do well have alignments between 
all levels of the organization and there's, you know, they're in simpatico. But at the same time, I've, I've often thought that they're, I don't want to use the word culture, but there is a tendency within the garden to, you know, I wouldn't even say hire your friends, but hire the people you're comfortable with. Not always. God knows we've had several situations where, you know, a coach is matched up with a, a different regime and then the regime goes out and the coach stays and this and that. But what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Do you think like, so Tibbs is obviously coming to a, a, a someone he's very familiar with in Leon Rose. Do you see that as a positive, a negative, or you're, you're not sure? Well, I mean, it's a potential positive, right? I mean, uh, trust is people have to be able to trust each other and they also have to have some of the same core values to be moving in the same direction. So in theory, one would say that, okay, they've got that by the same token, you know, you've also been very vocal about not wanting the Knicks to just hire the usual suspects and look outside of their own, uh, their own bubble of tribal connections. And, and it's very unhealthy when people just, or organizations just look to the context that they have uh, because it reinforces, you know, the legacy past when it's not working. And it also, Frankly, uh, in the spirit of the donations and the fundraiser that you're doing, it, it it limits the access of a lot of talent that's out there that is underrepresented and, and, and sort of historically lacks power. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it's potentially a good thing, but there's a lot more to it. And I, I will use the C word culture, but you know, for me, culture is people and decision-making processes and the rituals that form the identity of organizations, all three legs of that stool. And so you're just talking about one of them right now. Well, and that's, you know, I love that the way you phrase that the rituals that say that again, the rituals that make up like the decision making process, I guess. Well, I look at decision making a little as one of the separate three legs of the stool. But I imagine you are, you know, back in college and you're in one of these classes that you have to do a little sociology and you find out about some people who, you know, go look at some uh, they, they go into the jungle and they try to find out and understand, you know, what this group of people or tribe is about. And they look at um, their rituals, you know, what what brings them together? What do sure, they celebrate? Yeah. What is the symbolism and all that? So we all all groups have that even organizations. We just don't necessarily label them as rituals, but there are things that cause organizations to come together, um, to platform certain things, to announce certain things, to celebrate certain things, and also to leave certain things out. And, uh, and, and those things happen in organizations, and those are the things I like to look at and study as part of all this. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's harder to do in a virtual world, but uh, very often you, any one of us can have been in an organization where uh, you know, the values on the wall say one thing, and yet the people who get celebrated don't really animate those things once we get together. And so, you know, that looking at that, those gaps is, is an interesting way to look at culture. So that's, see, that gives me hope because there are so many people from outside the organization that have since been brought in. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even, forget about Tibbs, but, you know, Aller and Perrin and, um, you know, Zanin and his brother and Alex Klein, it, it, it's, it seems like it would, it would seem to me that, e that the, the, I don't know about the easiest, but one possible way to change an organization's rituals is to just swap out enough of the people who typically engage in those rituals. Does that be fair to say? That's, that's an important part of it. But the next challenge, especially for someone like Leon Rose, whose career has been built on, basically having individual relationships is to scale this in a way that everyone, all these ego driven successful people 
um, know their roles, understand their roles, understand where they fit in the decision-making processes, and are comfortable with that. So building organization and process around that, once you have the talent, is necessary. Otherwise, things will fall apart and fall apart quickly. Uh, and there's no history of that that I can see at Madison Square Garden. And it's going to be a real challenge. And for Leon Rose, uh, someone who hasn't succeeded primarily based on that skill set, that's the next evolution or stage. And that might be why he's kept Perry on board, because I think that's maybe where Perry slots in as more of a kind of an institution builder. But that's just hypothesis on my, I mean, that's just guesswork on my part. No, I, no, but I do think that, and look, you, you know, I, I was critical of, of Perry's retention and it's, you know, I'm usually pretty good about sticking by my, sticking to my guns. That is one position I've backed off of ever so slightly. And I think it's, mm-hmm. you just verbalized the, the, the reason why I think I implicitly did that, which is that even if I don't, you know, perhaps fully trust his decision making when it comes to, you know, picking a, a prospect or something of that nature, I do think this is someone who has been in and around the game for so long and has seen how, you know, processes work and, and work successfully. And, and I'll say this. And I think I may have mentioned this on a past podcast. Somebody reached out to me who has, I can't really speak much on it, but who has every reason in the world to dislike Perry and did say unequivocally his processes when it comes to the draft, for instance, are, they're good. They're, they're sound. And it's the type of process you want to go through. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what you're saying about Rose keeping him on. Hopefully they de- but hopefully they develop some processes that are that have been missing from MSG because as you say, clearly, you know, this is an area where they've been lacking. So, you know, we can yep. only hope, I guess. Yep. And and it looks like they looks like they use their coaching search to do some benchmarking on that front as well, right? I mean, they brought in some Spurs people, you know, they're I, I think, you know, the rumor was out there and I don't I think it's true and, and Rose himself called it, you know, it's an educational process. Um I, I think those are things that he's beginning to study. So to Rose's credit I think he's aware that this is a gap for him and that he needs to needs help to bring this up to speed. So hopefully, uh, you know, if he's open to learning and, and he brings in some good people and, you know, he's got the relationships to help people accept what their roles will be because what they were hired to do is going to end up being a little bit different from what shakes out. I guarantee it. Oh, it, it always is. And it's, you know, it's the, the Mike Tyson phrase, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Like, Everybody's, yeah. everybody approaches their job with a certain, you know, uh, set of steps, I suppose. And it's, what do you do when things go awry? Um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I mean, I'm, Hey, listen, the mark of a smart person is a person who identifies and admits what he doesn't know. And it seems like Rose has been uh, comfortable, uh, doing that it, 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 again from an outsider's view, it would seem. Um, yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. All right. Um, before I let you go, I'm putting you on the spot like I've been doing for every single guest. So don't think that I'm singling you out. I'm not. Um, you have to pick a win total for next year. Assume 82 games. Um, you, you have a slight advantage. The first couple of people who did this did not know the coach. And then the coach was announced in the midst of one of these calls. Um, so, yeah, give me give me your prediction. Well, now that I know, you know, Tibbs, we have a defensive-minded coach who will build around Frank the way I've been doing in 2K for the last few years. I, <laughs> I think the, the floor, the floor has to be 48, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that... Um, <laughs> no, 
No, in, in all seriousness, I would say 28. Wow. Okay. So it's funny. For a while, I got nothing outside of the, the 30 to 40 range. And then I got a 42. You're the first one under 30. Okay. And I know you're you're pretty optimistic, too. Yeah, well, I mean, I just think there's, there's, there's going to be a lot to sort out. And look, if we go from whatever pace we were on this year to, you know, 28, but we're building some foundations, I know that when you build sustainable success in an organization, the, the immediate-term footprints are not necessarily going to be there. Um, I think there's some low-hanging fruit to get, but I think there's, there's a lot of work to do with this roster. And uh, I would just be happy if they – this is, if they just start functioning internally and the fruits of that will take longer to show themselves. That's all any, any smart Nick fan. That's all that we've been asking for, for 20 years. Um, who knows? Maybe this is it. We'll find, we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Um, AJ, this really was a pleasure. It's always great talking to you online. Um, uh, and yeah, it was great to, great to finally hear your voice. And um, I appreciate you doing this and helping out with this effort. It's my pleasure. Congratulations on everything you're doing and, and, and um, to all the other people who kind of chipped in to help you with this fundraiser. I appreciate that very much. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Be well. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Next up on the KFS podcast is Travis Sacker. Travis, uh, first and foremost, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, I'm doing well. Um, I just finished listening to the pod you recorded with Jeremy yesterday. Oh, um, wow. It was great. <laughs> Um, work, work's been really busy, but I'm excited. The Knicks finally have their head coach. That's uh, what do you, do you mind if I ask what you, what you do for a living? Um, so I'm a golf professional. Um, so Whoa. I work at, yeah. <laughs> um, I work at a golf club in Westchester, New York. Um, this time of year, a lot of what I do is uh, junior golf instruction. So I'm out in the sun teaching kids golf. That's, uh, man, that's so awesome. <laughs> um, I've so many thoughts are I, I was an, an avid golfer when I was growing up. My my dad uh, got me into the sport when I, I guess when I was about nine or ten, which I'm get, probably I'm imagining are about the age of the kids you teach. Right. Yeah. So I'm ages four to twelve right now. OK, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, and I played a lot in the um, when I was in, I guess, kind of early high school more than anything else. And like for a while I got down, you know, I would shoot in the like the low 80s occasionally. But okay. I just I lost the sport in college and I I regret it. But at the same time, who am I kidding? I don't have the time to go out and, you know, spend however many hours it is on the course. But that's awesome. That's that must be a fun job. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, it works out well because then my off season's in the winter. So <laughs> not going to rush the pending. I was hoping to go a lot of games this year, but I'll be able to watch and not have to worry. Yeah, I was about to say, watch, probably watch <laughs> it on TV. Um, so you brought it up. Uh, we have a coach. Uh, I, I, the the question of the hour uh, has been initial reactions. How are you feeling about Tibbs? Um, so when you first announced in February that he you thought he was going to be the coach, I was like, oh, why? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. But then over time, I've watched him film. I'm like, the Knicks have been so bad for so long. I was just talking about this with a coworker today, you know, this is like the farthest thing away from like the Derek Fisher hire. It really is. I've done the last few years. So I liked all of the assistant coaches they interviewed. I think Kenny Agatson's fine. I absolutely hate Jason Kidd. <laughs> Very glad they didn't, they didn't do that. My dad's actually wanted them to hire Jason Kidd. We had a big argument the other night about that. Um, I, I think there's a sentiment amongst some fans and I don't want to characterize it as like necessarily older fans, but 
I, I, I'll leave it at that. But I will say that I feel like there's a lot of people who feel like basketball acumen just translates and they are like, he's the greatest point guard of his generation. He has about a 500 record. They saw Giannis like, you know, grew up with him and they're like, yeah, what's wrong with this? And then once you look past that initial stuff, it's like, no. Yeah. And like the way he spoke about his players was a huge turnoff for me. And when I've read about as many interviews I can of players who've coached under Tibbs, and they've all said the same thing. If you want to play, he's going to play you the best he can. And, like, that's actually the best thing I want to hear from the Knicks hire right now. Yes. And the three most important Knicks on the team to me are RJ, Mitch, and Frank. Those are the three types of guys that will, you know, take their own personal parts of the game out and listen to their coach because they just want to play and win. I, um, you know, I don't, somehow I don't think I've talked about this, but, like, I don't, I, I am so over the top when it comes to trying to read like body language and like trying to read a person from like little things that they do. But I'll just say like, look, and I, I was in the, the locker room, I don't know, seven times, eight times, I whatever. So not a lot, but it, it's really tough to be around Frank and RJ and not get the impression that these guys just, they do take this stuff a lot more seriously than I feel like most 20, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds take just about anything. Um, and Mitch, like in his own way, he does too, even though obviously he's kind of a different personality. So I, I completely agree with you. Um, so yeah, you kind of stole my, my, what I wanted to know next is like, who are your, who are your favorite players on the team? Who are you looking forward to seeing next year? Who do you want to see that build around? But I have a feeling I know the answer to this too. <laughs> oh, I am a proud member of the Frankie Smoke Stand Club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a, a group chat with about 15 friends. It's called like Frank X joke name. You can think of next. <laughs> um, I'm not going to share it on here, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, I am. Um, I surround myself with Frank fans. Um, <laughs> that's good. But I, I mean, I, I listened to your pod. Now I'm going to get ahead of you. Sorry, but I, I kind of already wrote this down. So I just listened to your pod where you ended with, you asked your guests, who you think is most important on the team next year um, when you were talking to Jeremy. And I think it is by far RJ. Um, the reason why is they can only go so far as their top ball handler slash wing can take them, right? And that's not coming from any signing they can make in free agency. Like, uh, if we sign, like, again, what Jeremy's talking about, DJ Augustine, that's just another ball handler for half a season before he gets too tired and they sell him anyway. So if you can get their one young ball handler and wing to play like a borderline, very good player, right? Like, <laughs> I, I love how you catch that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, you, if you listen to the pod, you know how I feel about RJ and that's not being down on RJ. It's not, it's no, just, it's, not. it's just, he's, he's five years younger than me. And I look at these guys and I'm like, how do you do it yet? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think if he can be like the guy in the team that is the focus of the other team's off defensive schemes. That's very important. If that makes sense. That's no, that's, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, you're actually just, um, um, making me think of something that I don't think anyone's really talked about. And maybe I'll, I'll do this as an upcoming newsletter. Like RJ's game needs improvement. We, we know that in, in several areas, I shouldn't even say several areas. There are a couple of key areas. 
And I think everybody just defaults that, okay, well, it's the shooting. Once the shooting comes around, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. And I'm not, not to say that that isn't important, especially given the context of the rest of the roster and, and who some of the other available options might be for them, both in the draft and, and, you know, elsewhere. But I'm not sure that that's the most important thing. I feel like just like him, I don't even want to say run an offense because that's unfair. He shouldn't be really running the offense, but it's, uh, I'm going to have to think about this more because the way you put it as just, he's a focal point of other teams, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That that's huge. Yeah. And I want to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that some more. You gave me, gave me something to, to ponder as I uh, go to bed tonight. Yeah. And why, if I just want to add to that is again, I, I know you asked me my favorite players are they're without question, Mitch, RJ, Frank, Damien Dotson, the, the main core of Knicks fans like me who like the Knicks. Yep. Right? We, we like those young players that play hard. It, I mean, it's, and everyone that I talk to is in that same boat. Um, but the reason why I think this is so important is because I'm, I'm like, I agree with you. I was actually going to ask you about World Wide West. We might be able to get there if we have time. Yeah, I'm sure. as fascinated with his story as you are, maybe. Yeah. Um, that World Wide West and Liam Rose, I think they're going to be like, okay, we're going to play the young guys, but we want to win. So the closest way to get to winning is having someone on the team that can take the ball and make a play when it matters most, which the Knicks have not had for a very long time, um, especially homegrown player like that. So if RJ can become that, even if he's not great at it yet, that's fine. That's not really what matters. He will be the focus point of other teams' defenses, which means that he will be the focus point in the overall Knicks you know, brand, right? So when you think of the Knicks, you think of RJ. That yeah. helps you get a bigger name out there. So if they were to ever trade him for Devin Booker, and the last year it was, oh, RJ is the Knicks, that matters to me. And I think that matters to other front offices as well. I think I, I've long pondered the the notion, not long, but for a little while now, of like, and, and ultimately this is a stupid question, right? Because like, are you building up RJ to be the leader of your team for the next decade? Or are you building up him to be a trade asset? Well, like just, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse by even asking that question, just get the kid good. I personally, right, I think that they don't have any, into, I, I think in a, like in their perfect world, RJ is a Nick for the, you know, retires a Nick, whatever you want to say. Um, that's just kind of like, and uh, that's a little bit of like dribs and drabs that I've heard from folks. Um, and, but not that that should surprise anyone. I mean, he was their number three pick last year. Um, in terms of Wes and like Rose and like what, like them making him look good, you know, that leads to the inevitable question of like, all right, well, how do you best feature him in the starting lineup next year? And like, yeah, you need shooting, but you need more playmaking. But I think just more than anything, you need you need more ball movement. Like the thing that I I think doesn't get talked about enough and is like they didn't skip a beat when they traded their best player last year. And it wasn't even close. Marcus Morris was like, right. I think, clearly their best player. And they didn't skip yeah. a beat. And like, why was that? Because they started moving the ball a little bit more. And I know that didn't show itself in like the assist percentage or like any of those types of numbers. But there was just a little bit more flow to the offense. Um, and I think that's what they need a lot more of, which then leads you to thinking about Frank, because what does Frank do better than anything? He just makes the easy, right? He makes the right pass. And then yeah. you look at Frank's numbers with Randall and you're like, oh, oh goodness. 
And then it, it's like every every time you try to think about a, a simple solution for this team, you reach a dead end. There are no there are no easy answers. And even talking about Frank and like I know I I stand Frank harder than most people do. I'm not as vocal in the Nick Twitter sphere, but I listened to what you said that the 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 top five lineups they had over 200 minutes. Frank yeah. was in four of those. I was just thinking back to the season. I'm like every time Frank played well, Nick's played really well. He really kind of is the heart and soul of the team. And if he plays well, that usually means Mitch played well, too, because those kind of go hand in hand. Well, you know, you, you probably noticed from the names that were surrounding him there, but those were all bench units. And right, it, definitely. You know, and like, I think, talk about another. Yeah, you're, you're giving me all kinds of ideas here. Um, like, <laughs> what was it about the Knicks bench last year that not all the time, but more often than not, function really well because the individual pieces when you think about them it's like Bobby Portis, Kevin Knox, Frank Nelokina again we both love Frank but he has his like warts to his game and then like insert your shooting guard here like there's nothing about and then obviously Mitch so maybe that's the question was it all Mitch or like how much was just like the unique complexion of that um grouping uh like what you know, what, what worked. I don't know. That's something else I'm going to dig into. So I think I actually was talking about a coworker of mine who's a Kings fan who has a, okay. then gets, you know, objective view on the Knicks. Then he was like, well, I thought they were going to be better because they had the deepest team. And I'm like, that's true. But their starting lineup was so bad that it didn't matter how good their bench was. So if you like put, one good player in that starting lineup, you then had that depth to be the best team. Now, sometimes the best de- de- uh, bench in the league. Now, sometimes too much depth is a curse like it was this past year. Yeah. Like, Trayer and, and um, Dotson didn't play much, right? So, like, we said got Wayne Ellington and Mo Harkless. <laughs> but point being, because they had so many equal-ish players, their bench may have been better than teams who spent most of their money on the top end of their team. And that's yeah. kind of why it was fun to watch the deep, the bench sometimes, but it didn't matter because they were down 20 when they went in the game. Yeah, it, it was... I always enjoyed watching the bench. Those were the most exciting parts, I think, of the game for a lot oh, of Nick fans. Yeah. No, but I, I don't... The You know, I don't think you're way off with the idea of, like... It's not, I don't think it's going to take as much to make them, I'm not going to use the word good, and that'll get us to our last our last point, um, but respectable. I, I think it's going to, you know, and that's why I, the, my first thought when you brought up, like, making RJ the the best wing, like, slash creator or whatever on the team, um, I still think the Fred Van Fleet question is an interesting one, and I don't think for a second that they're going to go and give him multiple years at the money he wants, but... Um, man, would he solve um, just a lot of issues, problems uh, with them? I don't know. I, I, I would love to be proven wrong there, um, and for them to make an investment in him, even at a slight overpay. But I, I, um, uh, I think that would be a, a big surprise. Um, you, by the way, you were wrong before. The question I'm asking everybody isn't the most important player question. It is this one, which we'll we'll close out on. Um, you got to give me a win total for next year. That is. Oh, the- that's- Okay, that's yeah, the right. question. So no, like you know, you heard no caveats, no nothing. Just tell me how many <laughs> games they're gonna win. Um, win total. What again? We're saying in quote unquote eighty two games. Eighty two games. Yes, eighty two okay. games. Um, twenty eight. Wow. Oh boy. Talk about this is oh this is so funny. I had <laughs> ten people in a row or so give me numbers between 
30 and, and 40 with one slightly above 40. And you're the second person <laughs> in a row now who has said 28. So I, I am a huge NBA fan outside of the Knicks. So I, I like to think I sometimes have an objective view of the Knicks. And the NBA is a really good league and teams are going to get better next year. <laughs> yeah. So if they were going to win 25-ish games this year and they definitely had some games where I was like, Marcus Morris just got absolutely hot. You know what I mean? Like, and they kind of pulled out a win. If they could get to 28 solid wins, like I'd say, yeah, that's what I expected. And I don't expect more. I don't expect them to get any player that's going to make a huge difference. The only way I see a player making a huge difference is if RJ, Mitch, and Frank all reach another level. And if Julius Randle played a role like Julius Randle was for every other year of his career besides this one. Because, yeah, I think he's going to be in the team. I don't think they're going to trade I, him. I, I agree with you. I, I, if, if, if we're talking about a non-Chris Paul universe, which I... Okay, I, I, don't, I don't think that's happening. Um, I could see, like... I honestly don't, like, I know in the Knicks sphere, I hear, like, Danilo, Joe Harris name a lot. I don't even think that's happening. I don't actually expect the Knicks to sign anyone that matters this offseason. I think they'll, I think they'll get a guy, my, my, I, I'm, I'm not going to make a formal prediction yet, but I think they'll get one guy, and if I had to put my money on it, I'd say it's going to be Gallo on a one, a big one-year deal, because he just, ugh. He just strikes me as a, a guy that's ripe to take a big one year. And then I do think they're going to swing a trade for a, I don't know who, but I think they're going to swing a trade. I don't know. I think a lot of this conversation depends on their draft position too. Oh, for sure. Like hundred percent. I, I don't even know who I want them to draft. I think Lamelo would be my quote unquote top choice, but they would have to get the first time in my lifetime, a lucky lottery ball fall their way. <laughs> for that listen it's it's july 26th um we have it's going to be three weeks from uh thursday we're going to find yeah, out yeah. so we'll you know 20th we'll know soon enough it'll be here before we know it um listen travis this was a blast um thank you so much for you know wanting to be a part of this and and helping a great cause and yeah i really appreciate it man yeah thanks for having me on it was awesome so Joining me now, uh, the uh, last uh, no, ne- sorry, uh, second to last guest uh, of the weekend, full of full of these calls that have been wonderful. Um, he is the co-host of the D Man and the Stormers Big Blue podcast. I hope I got that right. Um, Peter Storm, Peter, how are you, man? Good. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing good. Are we on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for for being a part of this, for wanting to help a, a great cause. Um, so we were obviously talking for a while before we, before I hit record. Um, but, uh, yeah, just like, um, I, I, you know, I, we talked about the Knicks also in a lot in our emails. So you're, you're pretty much, you know, one of the last calls. What's on your mind with, with this team? Are you like, uh, how you feeling about Tibbs? Like what, give me, give me a thought. Well, you know, I, I, I've read everyone's every article that's been out there, and I, I'm always fascinated by Knicks fans and their reactions to uh, some of the Knicks moves. And usually the media is always very negative whenever the Knicks do anything. And it's kind of it's very funny to me that if the Knicks had hired Thibodeau seven or eight years ago when Phil Jackson hired Jeff Hornacek instead or Derek Fisher instead, the Knicks fans would have been celebrating this move. Now that they've actually hired him, um, you know, it's probably like a 50-50 mix. Now, from in my mind, Thibodeau, Thibodeau is a no-brainer for the job. Um, you know, he's a winning coach. You know, if you think about some of their last few coaches, Derek Fisher was kind of like a, 
you know, a deer in headlights. Hornacek um, wasn't really all that experienced, and he was probably set up a foul because he wasn't going to do the triangle. Uh, and then you have, you know, Fisdale, who um, maybe was wasn't the best coach. <laughs> very, for the very, for the very second he started coaching, you could see he was a lot of uh, pizzazz and not much substance. And, you know, Mike Miller did a good job, but, you know, I'm not, I, I kind of laugh at the people that thought Mike Miller did this sensational job. Because, you know, at the end of the day, he should have been playing the younger guys. I mean, you know, uh, Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington, those guys were doing nothing for the Knicks. Like, I had, if I had to watch Bobby Portis and Julius Randle for 10 more minutes, I was going to lose my mind. So I think Thibodeau, at the very least, is finally going to try and get the Knicks to play right. You know, of course, now they've got to give them the players. You know, I, I, my biggest issue with the, the roster last year was just poorly constructed. And, and yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if that was on Scott Perry or Steve Mills. You would know more than that than me. I, but you know what? I've, constructed roster. I've been trying to, I've been trying to figure out the answer to that question since June 30th of last year. Who, who was really responsible for that? I think, I don't, I, to me, it's like, why even try to parse it out? You know, Scott Perry is your general manager. Um, so, you know, even if these were Mills ideas, if you're the GM and you can't step up and be like, hey, you know, maybe we should sign a little bit more ball movement here or, you know, uh, sh- you know, functional shooting at the positions that we need it. Um, the f- you know, it didn't happen. It is what it is. I completely agree with you. And I think a few people have echoed this on um, the calls that I've had this weekend. It's a great hire. Now give them the players. Um, and I'm. You know, I'm just as curious as anyone who those players are going to be. Do you have any, whether it be by draft, free agency, trade, any 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 method? Um, like, you know, do you have a guy or two in mind who you'd really like to see on this team next year? Well, I, I like to start with who they have and who who on the team right now will benefit from a coach like Thibodeau, right? So when you look at the current roster, three players really come to mind that I think will benefit from Thibodeau. One is definitely Frank Nilakina. Um. Now, will Thibodeau use him correctly? He's not a true point guard, but he definitely has value in the NBA, and I actually think he improved a lot last I, season. I agree. Uh, and I think that Thibodeau can use Nilakina, you know, maybe as a small forward, something like that. You know, it's positionless basketball now, so we'll see. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, I think, will benefit a lot from Thibodeau, Thibodeau as well. Um, Robinson, uh, you, know, you know, if he could do for Joachim Noah what he did for for you know, for Robinson, who's actually more athletic than Noah, a lot more. You know, yeah. We'll see. And then I think R.J. Barrett will really benefit them. I think R.J. Barrett really, really did not. Fisdale didn't do him any favors, and then Mike Miller didn't, and then Miller didn't do him any favors either. You know, Barrett. I felt he got iced out by Efrid Payton. I, I actually shared that with you in my yeah in one of my emails. Yeah, I, 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 I truly believe he got iced out by him. Payton was obsessed with just getting the ball to Julius Randle. I remember when Randall was signed and there was Dick fans were excited by him. And I immediately told, and I got a lot of crap for this. I immediately said, he's a soft stats player, puts up big stats on bad teams. And he's just not the guy you want. And that's how I feel about him. So no, no, I think I, you get rid of, sorry. No, I think you're, I think you're spot. I, I just, I have to point out the, the previous caller on this that's going to be on the episode. He, he said the same three players, but I don't, I think it's, if you asked a lot of Nick fans, who were the three guys that you think would, would it really going to jive with Tibbs? I think a lot of people would name these three guys because it does make a lot of sense. Well, I'm going to add a fourth, actually. Okay. I actually think I, I actually think that Thibodeau will be able to unlock Kevin Knox. I don't I don't think Knox okay. is not a talented player. I actually I actually think Knox 
for whatever reason, last year got lost in the shuffle of Julius Randle and Bobby Portis, and he and I think and I think that he something happened there because if you watched him as a rookie and you watched him in the summer league, he's he's a very talented player, and it's just something in there that a good coach may be able to unlock with him. I mean, he he's going to be a good shooter in the NBA eventually. Uh, I you know I don't I, I felt he should have played a lot last year. You know, what's his position? Is he a three or is he a four? I mean, I think that's probably something there. But I think I think I know a lot of people are down on Knox, but I actually was curious to see if Thibodeau can unlock something. No, I I put, you know, it, it's tough because when I watch when I was and I mentioned this to somebody else when I watch like film of the Wolves, like a lot of the little tendencies you see in Andrew Wiggins are some of the tendencies you've seen from from Kevin Knox. That said, when Tibbs got Wiggins, Wiggins was already in his third year, and Knox just finished his second year, and I think Knox already has shown evidence of improving on a lot of the tendencies that made him just a walking disaster as a rookie. He was not a walking disaster this year. The shot fell off, but in terms of being a more functional, you know, you could plug him in and like not get killed. He's not going to get hunted on every possession like that improved. So I do think I completely agree with you. I think Tibbs can unlock him. I still think what they did to the kid last year in terms of the role reduction was organizational malpractice, not of the level of the, in retrospect, the KP trade, but close. Um, and I'm just, you know, it's funny. yeah. It's funny the, it, yeah. The role reduction. I, you know, I think it was the role reduction. And I think, you know, Bobby Portis and, and Julius Randall, I think really um, impacted signing all these guys that played to say Marcus Morris, they signed like four players that play his position. I think that got in his head. Yeah. And, and, Oh no, I, I completely, cause like, you can't tell me that that guy forgot how to shoot um, or like doesn't know right. how to shoot like his stroke is. And then I mean, but then that leads us to another issue, which is how well this team develops its talent. And like, what did they do with the shot? They made it more high arcing. I, I still don't really yeah. know about that. And it's just like, yeah, I, I hope that's I hope he's not. I hope they don't view him as water under the bridge. It's been um among the biggest questions for me, so we'll see what happens there. Hey, that, that, that that being said, I do. They, they did bring in here uh, Leon Rose and World Wide West to not build around young players. So, you know, I uh, I don't yeah, but know you still got to maximize your assets, right? You can't just yeah, you no, can't just throw your assets by the wayside. And I and I should hope that they still view him as an asset. And they have seven draft picks in the next three years, and and and, and you know, but then again. You know, do, do will they pick the right guys? And you know, then you talk about the you know we talk about the draft. I, I actually I actually don't think the Knicks should really participate much in free agency this year. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not one to spend big money on Fred Van Bleek. Um, I, I'm not a big Christian Wood guy. I know there's you know people that like um, him. I, I think I, I'm know, off I, the yeah the Christian Wood bandwagon at least as far as giving him multiple years at at, at a significant amount of money. Yeah, you guys like that scare me where they put up good stats on bad teams that aren't playing for anything. And I, you know that's what Wood did with the Pistons last year after Blake Griffin got hurt. But when, you know when you're talking about the draft, this draft is tough. It's a tough one um, because you know I know there's a lot of Lamelo Ball love, but I think Lamelo Ball, R.J. Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson is, is, is not a great threesome because of the lack of shooting. Yeah, so no, it's actually, the obvious. It's the obvious issue. I'm actually not in the Lamelo Ball park. I think I wrote you this. The two guys that you know, there's three. There's three guys that I really like in the draft. One is the Israeli kid. Danny, um, but the yeah. problem with the problem with him is that everyone's going to expect him to be Luka Doncic, and he's not. So that that could be an issue. 
But, you know, there's Kira Lewis and there's Aaron Nesmith. And I, and, I, and I know the Knicks might pick higher. But those are two guys I think that could really help the Knicks outside of all these other players that I've heard about. I have no interest in Anthony Edwards, um, you know, another guy who can't shoot, couldn't lift his team out of in Georgia. You know, the great college players can lift their teams. James Wiseman doesn't fit in, this, in the NBA anymore. You know, he's talented, but he doesn't fit. I don't know much about Killian Hayes and, and Tyrone Hall- Halliburton. Um, but, you know, Hayes is two players. I'd watch. Sorry, no. Hayes is a guy. If you have a few extra minutes, I'd, I'd watch some tape on Hayes. He's not. It there's something there, and I get that maybe the hype has gone a little bit too far. But I, I there's a reason to like him as a as a potential prospect. When I watch tape of Kira Lewis, I don't understand why he's not in the conversation. Well, I I was literally just texting Spencer about this before. Um, cause Kyra, I think he's moved Kyra into his top eight, like regardless of team, um, which is higher than consensus. But I, I don't think there's any question Kyra Lewis is going to be a top 10 pick by the time we get to the draft. I completely agree with you. I love the kid. He reminds me of Damian Lillard. That's, 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 uh, and I know you, I, you hate to play. Cons- yeah, I was about to say, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a big matzo ball to throw out there. Um, I look, I think he's fast and I think his speed will translate well to the NBA game. And I think he has enough touch on his passes that he'll be able to do some, some good stuff in this offense. Yeah. You know, like I said, the draft is tough. I mean, this, this is, you know, there's no um, Zion Williamson in this draft. No, <laughs> you know, next, next year's draft is stronger. The draft in a couple of years where that kitty Tony Bates is, is, He's going to be a very good draft, I and mean, just this just this year's draft is a tough one. Well, that's a good trend. Oh no, sorry, say what you're going to say. No, I'm going to say it, it's a it's a tough one, and for me, who's watched the Knicks draft for uh, you know thirty something years, you know forty something years, I've watched the NBA draft. They never cease to disappoint me with who they pick, and and you know it, it, when given the, it just seems like if they have the fifth pick, there's four good players. If there's sixth pick, there's five good players. It just seems to always happen to them. Yeah, other than other than KP, I I, I can't disagree with you. Um, and obviously that you know situation had its issues. Um, it's a good thing. Tra- the, the interesting thing about KP is that he. He, Phil Jackson really wanted a Jaheel Okafor. I know Russell. if he had his if he had his druthers, he he would have had one of those guys. Which you know, t- talk about alternate universes. But so you mentioned the 2021 draft. Good good transition. Uh, it's I'll ask you the question I've been asking everybody before I let them go, which is, um, you know, will do you think they will be in a good position for next year's draft? And and what I'm going to ask you for is a predicted win total. Um, no, no caveats. No, like, well, if this or that, just like based on what we know now, what do you think their win total is going to be next year? And I'll assume they'll play the whole season. And we'll yes, do a eight, all eighty-two season. games. So we can assume that. So they, eighty-two games. I think based on talent, as the team is now, it would I'd say twenty-eight games, and then you add in, uh, you give a Thibodeau uptick. I think to. 32 games. I'd say about 32 games they'll win next year. I was, I was about to say you would have been the third straight person to say 28. Um, but uh, at 32, um, I, it's a good prediction. Yeah, I think it's... I, I have a four to six game uptick on Thibodeau. I think, I, I think that he's the type of coach who will give you more wins in the immediate because um, he'll have the team playing hard every game. So that would be good for four more if, wins. I think if I had to pick a number right now, I think I've picked 
30, I think I picked 31 two years ago when they won 17. I think I picked 31 or 32 last year, and they would have won probably 27 or 28 had they finished the season. Um, I think I might go with – I think I'm going to be the one to go with 33. I think I'm going to go with 33. I, I think that's a nice – I think that's a nice number. Um, I mean, what are, you, what, are you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on what they might do in free agency from what you've heard? I, I, I mean, I haven't heard anything in terms of free agency, just – that yeah. the 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 only thing I've heard, and I think I've said this on my own pod before, is that you know Perry Perry has valued flexibility more than anything, and he is not bashful about the fact that he is like he feels that that's a good thing that he hasn't locked in any long term deals other than Randall, and that's not even really that long term. Um, he's still the general manager, and I still my assumption is that 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 will still be an organizational ethos that they are not going to go past one year on anybody. So if you're not going to go past one year on anybody, unless, you know, I mean, look, the league is playing again, so I don't think the economics are going to be that bad. So guys like Van Fleet and like you mentioned, Wood, I think those guys are going to get multi-year deals from somewhere. I think they're going to want multi-year deals because they're younger players. So I think it's going to be like, you know, your one-year overpays for, you know, DJ well, Melo's out there. Whether he wants to come, Gallinari's a name we've I've talked about with a few people. DJ Augustine has been mentioned, um, you know. But it's going to be. I, I I'm more curious about the trade that they might swing, and I think there's going to be a trade. I I have that is not based on any inside information, uh, but I just have a feeling they're going to swing a trade. You know, you know, you know, you know who the player that I have nightmares about them trading for. I can tell you right now, there's who? a star out there that I have nightmares. See if you can guess it. There's a star out there. He's in the Eastern Conference. I'll give you a hint. He's in, and he's, you know, he is injury prone, but he's a star in the league. Oh, Embiid. Joel Embiid. Well, listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who feel the same way. <laughs> I, think he, I, I have nightmares. Devin Booker still has four years on his contract, so I don't see where Phoenix is going to trade him. So yeah, I know that's not happening anytime soon. Um, all right. Well, listen. This was great. Um, anybody listening out there, you if you're a Giant fan or just a football fan or you just want to listen to a good podcast, um, check out Peter's podcast. Again, um, it is called um, – Remi- why don't you say what it's called? <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the D-Man and Big Blue – I mean, it's the D-Man and Stormer Big Blue podcast. We don't only discuss the Giants, but it is very Giant-centric. Um, this week we're actually going to have on um, the uh, founder of the biggest – Giants website, uh, com, and the training camp starting. He'll probably have some good tidbits for, for our listeners. But uh, thank you, John, for allowing me to uh, plug it on here. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on and for spending a few minutes with me. This was fun. And uh, yeah, man, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, man. Take care. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? How'd you make it home yesterday? Okay. <laughs> I, I made it home well. Thank you. Good. Um, Good. No traffic or anything. You got there plenty of time to set up your uh, calls. Yes, um, and and you're you're. This is this is the call that you're going to be on for the thing. What? This this is the call. This is the this is it. This is the call. Oh, okay. It's just like it's just like t- having a normal conversation. Okay, I'm not on yet, though, right? No, it's it's not it's not like a thing. It's just you. T- that's what a podcast is. It's two people talking to to each other. It's it's really just it's it's just like a it's like you having a conversation with me, except 
other people could listen to it. Oh, I see. Well, okay. Good morning to everybody. Well, it might not be morning when they're listening to it. Oh, I see. Then good day to everybody. That's appropriate. So I should probably say, because so like, for instance, I normally I wouldn't need to say hi, mom, but I'll say now hi, mom, because, um, you know, people may not know who it is. So I I just um, I wanted to. Well, you 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 donated to uh, Higher Heights for America. So obviously you get a spot on the show. But I wanted to thank you for that, but also for raising me as a Knicks fan. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I'm I'm curious if you, you did you know what you were doing when you when you did that. I I don't know if I can take credit for making you a Knicks fan. I will take credit for encouraging you uh, at your early age um, because you you were in tune to the Knicks. All I did was uh, enjoy the ride with you, <laughs> um, and it was quite a ride, and it's still going. <laughs> it is apparently still going. It, it so so it seems. Still um, going. By the way, do you even know? Yes. Do you know what happened yesterday? The Knicks did something yesterday. Do you have any idea what they did? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I don't. Well, you don't. Have, you don't have to apologize because you don't. You don't watch sports. They hired a head coach. Who did they end up hiring? They hired Tom Tom Thibodeau. How do you feel about that? Are you happy with that choice? Yeah, no, I'm 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 on board with it. I'm I'm here for it. Um all the way. He's the guy that in the in the newsletters this week that I was writing all about. That's that's him. Oh, good. 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 Well, then if you're in favor, I'm in favor. There you and go. I think that's how that's how the beginning of the Knicks was between us. You were excited, I got excited, and uh buying as I said, buying all the the Knicks mobilia was such fun for me. And even when I went to, uh, oh yeah, because I remember even when I went to charity events and auctions, if I saw anything, the Knicks, so we, I was like so excited because, you know, it was something we, we shared. That's how I got, let's see, what'd you get me? You got, Patrick, you got me a Patrick Ewing signed picture. You got me uh, an Oakley signed picture. You got me a, a Stark signed picture. Um. My Starks. And I remember the jerseys, and I wasn't allowed to wash them. Well, no, you couldn't <laughs> wash the jerseys because the jerseys. Well, but those were my Nick Summer Camp jerseys that. Um, yes. I want to say Charlie Ward signed one of them, and then. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> it was either it was oh God I can't believe I'm confusing these two players. It was either Buck Williams or Rick Mahorn. I want to say it was Buck Williams. Anyway, I um, agree with you. Uh, and then we had the banners that were signed. The banners, you know, what banners. I don't remember yes, any banners. They were sort of like a triangle shape. That's banner, a pennant. And uh, yes, a pennant. I don't think we had any signed pennants, though. I think we just had the. I have the pennant that I still have, my world championship banner. Yes. Um, yes. But or pennant. You got me saying banner now. Um, I don't think I have any. <laughs> I don't think I have any signed once but um yeah no you, you got me all the all that stuff and it definitely fostered my fandom and i can't imagine how much that all cost you so uh thank you for that as well um well, you're quite welcome quite and, welcome and uh yeah that's uh that's really it i i, don't, I know you probably got a busy busy day so i won't keep you for too long 
Um, and I will, I will read because uh, I'm, I'm a day behind with your writing. So uh, I will read about uh, the head coach now and well, um, you re- follow read, up on that. You can skip the Friday's newsletter. Friday's newsletter was just news and notes type. Uh, but uh, Mondays will be fun. That'll be a fun one. Okay. Uh, look forward um, to it. Yeah. And uh, oh, wait, hold on. Um, I, um, <laughs> God, this is going to be tough. Uh, I've been asking everybody to give a predicted win total for the Knicks this season. Um, how are you going to do this? So, so they play 82 games. Mm-hmm. Um, 50 wins is considered. So 40 wins is considered average, obviously. 50 wins is considered very good. 30 wins is considered not like not so good, but not terrible. And then if you get in like the twenties, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. So do you have a, okay, a guess? So, so my question first is I'm predicting the wins based on the new coach. Well, is that it? Yes. I, yes. You, yes. Okay. Then I'm going to go for 50 plus. Well, you know what? Your lips to God's ears. Uh, I'm going to write that one down. 50. You're throwing off the, you're going to throw off the average a little bit, but that's fine. Um, I won't ask you to name your favorite player on the Knicks because I'm 99% certain you don't know. Do you know any, any players who currently play in the NBA? You, well, you know one, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a senior moment, so we won't go there right now. <sighs> You can't even name the the big the guy. He's on the Lakers. He played in Cleveland. No, no, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, give me initials. I don't want to say the wrong name. LeBron is his first name. Oh my God! Yes, yes, LeBron. Yes, do I you, do know. I do. I do know LeBron. Okay. Um. Yes, I do. Last name starts with a B. No, it doesn't. It's, it's it's actually starts with a J. It's actually LeBron James. Yes, James. Okay, you were probably getting him confused with LeBron. Um, I um, I'm trying to think of a name that starts with B, and I I can't. I'm blank. I see. And now I'm having a senior moment. No, I'm, but I'm there blank. was a player. But there is a player that I know because uh, 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 he always comes to mind. And since I hang up, I'm sure it will come to mind. A basketball player. But uh, yeah, yes. Well, maybe not current. I'm going to say not current. Is it Michael Jordan? Not current. Well, Michael Jordan was a given. I mean, we, we know all of that. Michael Jordan, of course. And those you had those wonderful sneakers that I threw out that I think you never forgave me for. No, I still am not over that. Those were the ones with the, <laughs> the, the I forget which Jordan they were, but the ones with all the writing on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, tracking, tracking his entire yes. career. Yeah, yes. I still and can't I'm believe so it's sorry this. about it. I know. I it, know. It's okay. That's not the only pair of my sneakers that you threw out that I was upset about. I also had a pair of Air Max medals um that I you can't find you literally can't find them anymore. I've tried looking. Um but they probably wouldn't fit me anyway. Um so oh, well it's I, okay. I am sorry about that. When I get into my closet cleaning mode, 
There you go. Well, like, now, I'm, now, now I'm, I'm the one careful. throwing stuff out. So there, because I have a, I have a small house and lots of stuff. So there you go. Um, all right. There you go. This was, this was fun. Is there anything you want? Uh, actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give you an open mic before we get out because I don't know what you're liable. <laughs> you're probably liable to say something nice about me, which I don't want you saying because I've had enough of that on this well, episode. Well, there's, you know what, Jonathan, I really have to say this because Please there don't. are only <laughs> nice that I could say about you because. As you know, I think you can do no wrong. You write. I love. I love reading your articles. I may not understand all of the numbers and all the technicalities, but you've got me following the Knicks all over again. So, <laughs> That's I phenomenal. Do, I do read your daily your daily articles, well, and I'm I'm happy that you're happy about the new coach. And uh, that's all. That, so, yeah, that's all you yeah. got to say. This is this is great. Okay. Um, thank you for, for chiming in. And, uh, well, this right. was fun. Okay. That is it for this marathon two part episode. Um, this was so much fun. Uh, I really, I can't speak highly enough of how much I enjoy talking to everybody. Thank you one more time to all the people that, uh, wanted to be a part of this. Thank you for, um, making, uh, I think a really, really significant, um, impact here. Um, I added up the numbers and if my math is correct, which, um, I'm a math teacher in my other life. So I hope it is. We have raised drum roll, please. I believe we've raised $665. And, um, I know my wife said that she wanted to throw a few bucks, uh, towards this as well. So maybe we could just get it to an even 700, but, um, really thank you everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. And, um, quick plug for, uh, we're going to do a mailbag episode next. Um, probably have that up by Friday, but, uh, we'll need, um, any questions into me on Twitter or to KFS mailbag at gmail.com. Um, let's say maybe by Thursday morning, Thursday, early afternoon, something like that. Um, That's it. Thank you again, everybody. Have a great rest of your week.